Hey y'all, I'm Allie Spears, and this is Ag Chicks, where we dig deep with the women who are helping to feed the world. All right, so I'm sitting down with Caroline today, and I'm excited to talk to Caroline about all of the different things that she has going on. Like many of the women that I have on Ag, Ch on Ag Chicks, she is extremely dynamic and has lots of things um, that she is involved with, and so I'm excited to hear all of those items that you have going on. So, Caroline, without further ado, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself today? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. So I'm Caroline Rose, um, grew up in Southwest Montana, and I came from an ag background. I would say 100% of our income growing up was derived from agriculture, but we were small fish in a big pond, right? So in Montana, there's lots of uh, big operations, and my dad sort of was self-made and really just you know, started from the very bottom and worked his way up into building an opportunity for us kids. And so I saw him work really hard as being self-employed and he was actually an order buyer for most of my childhood. He still is today. And then he would dabble. He'd lease the um, neighbor's ranch out, run some yearlings. I mean, just all of these things. He really showed us how to be multi-passionate and how to kind of look at all those opportunities. And so I went to Montana State University, graduated with an animal science degree, and got a couple job offers that were incredible, and I just couldn't take them. I remember calling my dad crying and said, that, Dad, they offered me a job, and I think my dad was a little nervous to start with, and he said, well, you're going to work, right? <laughs> yeah, right, I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I said, yes, I want to work. I just don't want to work for anyone, and he's like, well, you you might not have that luxury, and I said, I'm going to do it. And so in May of 2015, I graduated from college and I started my company. And so I wanted to have an ag marketing uh, agency with an animal science degree. So I'm 100% self-taught in marketing. I have no formal train training on marketing, but I can diagnose pink eye and kettle really well. And so I started into having an ag agency and the first year was pretty miserable. Um, I starved. I picked a lot of rock at the feedlot on the weekends to pay the bills. And I just knew that this is where my passion lied. And the business, once it kind of got some traction, it took off. And by no means read that as easy or listen to that as easy. Um, I'm still eight years in, still working probably six days a week, 12 hour days uh, with a team of eight to 10, depending on the season. So we are still in hustle mode, um, but it is a dream come true to have this ag agency. Our primary customer is seed stock producers. And then we work with rural businesses um, because I know that if small towns in, in the United States and in other countries if there's not a daycare, good schooling, a place for the husband or wife to get an extra income job, then the next generation of farmers and ranchers, they don't come home. Right. Like they're not coming back to die in small towns. So I knew that these rural businesses needed some help marketing support. Um, and then we do lots of ag supported businesses, vet clinics, embryologists, things like that. So that's K-Rose company, which is kind of the umbrella of everything that we have. And then we have Cattleman U which is our educational um, arm of K-Rose Company, really focused at ag women and showing them that creativity and the way their brain thinks is the secret sauce to making it to the next generation of producers. And I feel like women need to be at the table. Women need to be very involved because we just think differently, uh -huh. like right or wrong. 
we just have a different brain. Right. And it takes that in order to have a successful operation. So we have this educational platform, um, which we do. Um, we have a podcast, a video series, and the membership. And so that's designed for the ranch wife and ranch women and ranch daughters, anyone um, involved in an operation. And then um, I am in the beginning phases, well, sort of beginning, it doesn't feel that beginning to me, but <laughs> of opening a retail store. So it actually opens on October 8th um, okay. in Calisville, Montana, called The Rancher's Daughter. And it is a store that we have worked with consignments from local producers to sell beef, lamb, pork, chicken, um, jam, honey, tea towels, tumblers. I mean, everything kind of, it's a local, not necessarily a grocery store, but it's more of a retail store with local products in it. And we've used the consigner model because I want to give that margin that the wholesaler gets back to the producer. Right. I want to really make sure that we can ensure that the next generation of ranches and farms stays in business by increasing their revenue. So uh, that retail store opens on Saturday, October 8th, and it's been a long time coming. We've completely remodeled the business, uh, and so we're very excited for that. But that is kind of all the things I'm doing at the current moment. Yeah, so like nothing, right? You've just, you've got a lot of free time on your hands. <laughs> Yeah, well, a little. Wanna, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back um, kind of to where you were talking about you graduated, you had job offers and you were like, yep, yeah, nope, I'm doing this on my own. Because I think that is something that a lot of people maybe feel when they hit that graduation point. It, I mean, for me personally, I knew I wanted to work in agriculture, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I didn't really think about yeah, like starting my own business at that point or anything like that. But I think a lot of individuals, especially in agriculture, want to be involved in agriculture, but they don't know what that looks like for them. And so for you, can you explain a little bit about like how you made that decision as far as like even like the internal battle of like, do I take this job where, you know, it's, it's guaranteed I'm going to have a paycheck at the end of every week or month or whatever it may be. And you were like, nope, I'm doing this. So can you talk a little bit about how all that went down? Yeah. So to back up a little bit in high school, I got really sick and I was actually um, life flighted um, my senior year in high school with a heart infection that was caused by a cavity in my mouth. Oh, and I ended up having about 30 strokes between December of my senior year to the day I graduated high school. And so I already um, had this fear going into college about time freedom because I had so many doctor's appointments. That was what I was saying I wanted time freedom is I want to be able to go to the doctor when I need to go to the doctor. Or if I'm not feeling well, I want to be able to take it a little bit easy. Uh, nowadays, um, I hardly have any of those days, right? I mean, I still see some specialists and stuff like that, but I very rarely, not like I was when I was first sick, but that was like my initial fear is I'm going to start a job for someone and I'm going to have a bad day. And I'm going to still have to go to work. And I was like, I don't want that life. And so that's initially what kind of started me on the thought of, I want to be able to control my own schedule and do the things that I love to do. And so in my senior year, people were offering me the, I mean, I had some incredible job offers. I had an offer um, at a feed store in Montana and they were actually going to let me take six months off. So only work six months out of the year so I could buy cattle, which is what my dad does. And I knew I loved. And I mean, who does that? Come on. Yeah, no <laughs> I mean, it was an incredible offer and I still couldn't take it. 
And so my internal fear, I think, was a failure. I mean, naturally, right? We're we're so sometimes scared to act because of failure. But the other thing too was it was just me. And I was like, I can starve. I can eat ramen noodles. I can work at the pizza joint on the weekends if I need a little bit of extra cash. But the thing that was really challenging in the first year is I thought I was working hard, but I really wasn't. Looking back, I mean, my business, if I knew what I knew today back then, my business would have exploded in that first year, but I didn't. And it was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of, let's see if this works. Let's make cold calls, things like that. And of course, all of that was a purpose. I mean, it sent me up to who I am today. But the thing that I think people have to remember about being self-employed is it there is zero security. Yes. There are still months when I'm paying nine team members that I don't take a paycheck and I'm eight years in. There are still months where I have to make cold calls to make sure that we can pay our bills. Like there are still things today that are the exact same from year one, because as the leader, you eat last. As the leader, you stop working last. And we envision CEOs in a corporate world. It's not like that. Um, A lot of times a customer calls at 7 p.m. Guess who's answering that email? Mm. Guess who's getting on the design program and flipping those lots, me. And it's great. I love it. Like I'm not complaining, but I think it's really, really easy to say, well, I can just work from my computer. You can, but it takes a lot of hard work and making that thought process to where I'm not going to have a boss. The thing that was lost in that is accountability. And the moment I got accountability back, which was paying an employee for me, (laughs) but the moment I got accountability back, I had to work in a different mode than I've ever worked. And so if you want to be self-employed, you have to work. Like you have to do the work and you're not going to make millions of dollars your first year. I mean, unless, you know, your business just explodes, but like you have to be in the office at nine, stay till five. The freedom and the flexibility comes with the ability to work on Sundays. And we see people say, well, I want time freedom to go to my kids' basketball games. That's great. Those are not first-year entrepreneurs most of the time. Right. They have been in it 10, 11 years. Like they have said no to tons of things to get them to be able to say yes today in that little switch of a mindset. And so once I got over the fear and once I just knew that it was me on my own, I got to pay my bills. You know, I lived in a basement apartment for a long time and I didn't have internet. I would drive to the library. And so like I cut the corners to be able to do what I wanted to do. It was not glamorous. It's still not glamorous. It might look glamorous on social media. Uh, It's still a hustle. Yeah. And that's, I think that's important. That's kind of the general feeling across the board right now is, you know, everyone wants to be their own boss and they want to work for themselves, which is great. But there's just a reality that people don't understand is all of the things that you just talked about as far as, uh, especially when you have employees, because now you're not only responsible for yourself, but you're responsible for them and potentially their family and all that kind of stuff too. So it is not as easy and glamorous, as you said, as what social media portrays it as. And um, it's a challenge, but let's flip the script a little bit. And can we talk a little bit about maybe like some of the rewarding aspects of it as well? And kind of maybe the opportunities that it's allowed you to have because you are, you have built such incredible brands. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing I would rather do than be my own boss. And I often say like, I would be a terrible employee. I hope no one ever has to employ (laughs) me because I have built 
this behavior now of being my own boss. Um, but for sure, to me, some of the rewards are, for example, my dad um, is battling throat cancer and he's doing great now. Um, but we spent the whole summer in Texas at MD Anderson, the entire summer, late June to mid-September. I took my computer, I drove him down there and I lived in an apartment. Yeah. I would not have been able to do that if I wouldn't have worked the people always say nine to five, it's five to nine. If you're yeah. self-employed, 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. If I would not have spent the years putting in the work and I did not know that that is where the freedom would come to. But it was such an easy decision for me when he said, I think we need to go to MD Anderson to make sure that I get this treated properly. I was like, I'm packing my bags. Yeah. No ifs, ands, or buts, I'm going. I want to be there with you. I'll stay the whole time. And that like huge reward. We had the best summer. I mean, of course he was going through cancer treatment, but yeah. just being together and being able to do all that, it was amazing. And that's really what time freedom is. I still worked every single day. Yeah. I worked on the weekends. I worked in the evenings, um, but I was able to do it on my own time so I could be there for him. Yeah. But that was because of the years that I had put in to lay that foundation. So that's one of the best. The other thing to me is being able to hang out with my niece and nephew. So that's something that's really important to me, especially after being in Texas all summer, they live on the ranch. And I think they thought we were never coming home. <laughs> and so um, I was able to surprise my nephew uh, and pick him up from the school bus. So he's six and I could hear him screaming from inside the bus. <laughs> That's oh, my auntie. Yeah. And so just little things like that. But if I want to go pick him up at 4.05, that probably means I started my day at 6 a.m. Yeah. And so it's a teeter-totter. Everything we get to do with freedom, everything we get to do with opportunities is because the other end made sense. And there's literally nothing best, better than being your own boss. But you get to choose what you say yes to and what you say no to. You have to say no to a lot of things in order to say yes to the right thing. But I just love the ability that I get to be on the road. I put about 60,000 miles on a year. So I get that flexibility to be on the road and to work. And I also get to work on my own terms. And so a lot of times that might mean uh, a nap in the middle of the day for an hour. And then I work a little longer in the evenings. I'm planning a wedding right now. So I can easily stop to do a wedding walkthrough with the coordinator, anything like that, because I can readjust my schedule, but I still have to put in the same number of hours, which right. is I get to pick when those hours are, and I get to pick that hard work. It's so rewarding to be um, self-employed. And if you have that dream, do it hundred percent, just know that it's it's going to take some work, but when you get to the sweet spot in your business where you have a little bit of flexibility, it is such a great opportunity to be able to serve and to be able to bless. And if you have employees, that's to me the biggest honor is that someone wants to work for my brand and you get to serve them and their families and watch their families grow and thrive. And there's a lot of pluses. There's a lot more pluses than there are negatives. Yeah. And that, yeah. And I think too, sometimes for women in agriculture who want to be somehow connected to the operation, whether that's farming, ranching, whatever it may be, but they don't want to just do the books or, you know, do things that 
are outside of maybe the traditional ideas of women in agriculture or women on operations. How do you think this idea of entrepreneurship and kind of building your own businesses can apply to them? And and what kind of opportunity do you think there is for women in agriculture through that? So there's so many opportunities. And that's the thing I think is we like put ourselves in this little box. And I'm going to give a non-ag example. Uh-huh. And I think it will really help everyone see. So um, in Texas, there was this girl at the pool. And I said hi to her. There was not very many people at the pool. And so we got to chatting. She was a travel nurse from Tennessee. And she was living in Houston. She didn't really know anyone. I didn't really know anyone. She went wedding dress shopping a couple times with me. Um, and we just we were able to hang out. We went to farmer's markets together. We saw each other 10 times, maybe five times during the summer. Yeah. But she was sitting down and she said, I really would like to create a second income, but I'm a nurse. There's nothing that I know um, besides nursing. And you can't really have a side hustle of nursing. Right. And I, she's a NICU nurse um, in a like big hospital, like in Houston. And I said, oh, you have so many opportunities. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, you could create a guide for having a baby in the NICU. People would download that on Etsy left and right. It's so scary to people to have a baby in the NICU. They don't know what they can bring, what questions, all of that. I was like, you could do little magnets um, for their beds that have like notes to the nurse or reminders or progress reports, whatever it may be. And I just got her wheels turning and she said, I never would have thought about any of that. She's like, all I know is nursing. And so when we think about how that applies to agriculture, oftentimes we just think about what we know, but we forget that there's other people who don't know ground level and Mm -hmm. we have a PhD. And so like, if you're doing the books for your operation, you could create some how-to videos on little things in QuickBooks, not the whole thing of QuickBooks, little things and sell those right you could i mean anything that you are doing harvest meals right there's someone on instagram who is making um a living selling harvest meals how many women are making harvest meals right and now you just bundle it up and you have something to sell mm-hmm. um or maybe you double your recipes and you sell to the neighbor and you say i'll cover the harvest meals for x price for these days i'll drop them off this time there's some families that would be a dream for them. They would say, please do. You're a great cook. Please drop them by. We'll pay you. When we think about making an income, what you're already good at is an easy addition to offer to someone. And again, it does not, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. What you're doing at home, you could teach and train and support someone for exchange of money in building your own business. Yep. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think at that point too, it makes it more impactful for you because it's something that you are potentially already doing or you're passionate about. So then it's going to help you to continue to want to do it. Um, when, yeah. 
Absolutely. And $250 a week makes a big difference for some people. That right. might pay for your daughter's dance class. That might pay for what you put in retirement, right? It's not, we don't need to make twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year in this side hustle to start with. Make 250 bucks. Those right. things add up. And I think a lot of times it's like, okay, to be self-employed, I have to be making 60000 or whatever, right? right? No, no, no. Make $1,000 a month. What would $12,000 do for your family? A lot, mm-hmm. you know, make a little step, have it pay for your harvest meals. Right. What would not having a grocery bill do for your family? And so it doesn't have to, you don't have to go from no business to a full income health insurance type business. Just make a little money, just pay for your daughter's dance lessons, just pay for your son's T-ball sign up, just little things that's a win. And if that's all you ever do, you're still an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Like if that's, if you just make 200 bucks a week, you're still doing it. Yep. A hundred percent. Yep. That's, that's it right there. And I, a little bit of a side story, but I took an entrepreneur class this summer, um, for grad school and my professor asked a question and I raised my hand and I was the only person that raised my hand and he was like, you're involved in agriculture, aren't you? And I was like, how did you know that? And he was like, because agriculture produces the best entrepreneurs and they just understand um, how to work hard, the things it takes. And so um, I thought that was kind of something from an outsider's perspective, a something kind of unique about us in terms of um, just understanding how all of those things work, uh, even if it's not building, you know, some crazy multi-million dollar business. But like you said, harvest meals, QuickBooks, whatever, because it's if you can solve some a problem that someone else is having at the end of the day, that's worth who, however much you want to charge for it, really. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we don't realize the activities that we do every single day mm-hmm. that solve someone else's problems. One thing I was thinking about is like, if you like to mechanic, but maybe you're not a mechanic, you just like to mechanic, offer your neighbors that once a month, you'll come service their tractors right they don't have to take them in you'll show up right there it's going to take a couple hours of your time you're the expert if they actually need mechanicing work you can give them a list they can hand to their mechanic like there are so many things you can do and people nowadays pay a lot of money for convenience mm-hmm. and so how can you make someone's life better and easier by solving one of their problems you have a business yep yep so speaking of um you know solving solutions for people or creating solutions for people for K-Rose company, how, like, what is your guys's strategy in terms of marketing and helping rural businesses? What are kind of maybe some of the services you offer, uh, all of that good stuff? Yeah, so we are what you would consider a full design agency. So okay. um, logos, websites, social media management, tons of Facebook ads. About I run about $100,000 of Facebook ads a year. We have photographers, videographers. We do lots of content days, which is something I'm a big believer for small businesses. I shouldn't say this on air, but I actually don't think most businesses should have someone run their social media. Yeah. Because it's really hard to get your voice down. And so we do these things where it's content day. We come in for eight hours, bring a couple team members. We do voice recordings, photography, videography, and you get a complete package. All the social media posts written for you from your voice, all the um, photos, the reels, everything like that. Like you have this package to be able to post yourself. Um, So we do that. I do lots of consulting, lots of helping people start businesses, understanding marketing, what's working, what's not. Um, 
And in rural businesses, I noticed two things with our kind of our big audiences. So one is production sales. The thing that's missing in production sale marketing, seed stock marketing, is knowing where your leads are coming from. Mm -hmm. And so the traditional model has been get as many people on a catalog list as possible. Send out a catalog, which is your single most expensive advertising cost. And hope they come to your sale and put a bunch of print ads out to get the ringman to your sale. We have no idea the return on investment in print ads. No idea how many people are even looking at the catalogs. I see my dad throw handfuls of catalogs away every single day. Mm -hmm. So we really encourage producers. You need to narrow your catalog list down. They need to know, like, and trust you before they receive a catalog. Let's put tracking mechanisms on each print ad on wherever you're hosting your videos, DV, Northern, Superior, give them their own tracking link. Um, Whoever's designing your catalog, give them their own tracking link. Let's figure out exactly where your leads are coming from, exactly which publications, where your requested catalog is coming from. Then when we look at that, we can pull who registers to buy, who buys a bull, and we can literally see everyone who bought a bull came from X publication or came from X here. Pretty soon, you know how to spend your dollars. It's really easy. So that's a huge mission of mine in production sale marketing. We got to start tracking that. And we have to get back to producers making phone calls to other producers. You, as someone who's selling seed stock, can make 10 or 15 calls and never talk about a single bull. You have to talk about the bulls. You have to use those calls. So we call ourselves a one-stop shop, and I know a ton of other ad companies do now too. But we want you to call us. We'll handle the rest. Then you make one call. You call 11 people and try to sell bulls, you're going to have a better bull sale. So that's my philosophy on seed stock marketing. On rural businesses, the really sad thing is probably about four years ago, I got an email from another ag marketing company and they had talked about Facebook ads and they had encouraged people to hit the boost post button. And my heart sank. Mm-hmm. I absolutely like the boost post button is the worst button you can put when you're running Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. And it was really discouraging to me because I was like, as a small business, you can't hire someone to do your marketing. And so how, if, if there's bad information out there, these poor businesses, they're solopreneurs, they have one or two employees, they're trying to fit it all in the day. They're reading information that's not even accurate. Right. And I realized the tactic is then for it not to work and then hire them. But that was like really painstaking for me. I said, I don't want to do that. We got to teach rural businesses how to do it on their own. And my biggest piece of advice, the biggest thing I teach rural businesses is you can't be on all the platforms well. So if Facebook is not converting for you, don't add Instagram because you just (laughs) doubled your content creation time and you're already strapped for time. Like. Get Facebook converting, then add Instagram. What you post on Instagram, what you post on Facebook should not be the same thing. And so don't have all these platforms and then wondering why you're running out of time. It's because you can't create intentional content for each platform until one's converting properly for you. And so when I meet with a customer, a lot of times I get rid of half of their social media platforms. They say, we're going to go to Facebook until Facebook works. And Facebook working means X number of sales all tracked from Facebook. As soon as we hit that, let's add another one. But you just can't do it all. And you can't do it all well. You need to focus on a few things that work really, really well and start there. Yeah. 
And uh, then I guess too on the on the cattleman you side of things, where did that where did that idea come from first? I guess and like how did you how did all that come about? Yeah, so the idea came during 2020 when I was realizing I just was starting to pay attention to our own operation. So we have kind of a unique operation. We have a backgrounding lot um, of a couple thousand cattle. Um, we run some yearlings. I have some other cows. And then my dad and I buy some feeder calves for a living, about 30,000 between the two of us a year. So we're not a typical cow-calf producer. And what I noticed is I have a brother who's five years older, mid-30s, two kids home on the operation. As soon as he really came home and started to get more of the accountability, more of the responsibility, my dad started to leave for conferences. And I said, no, no, no. Our business cannot wait 30 years for my brother to be able to go to conferences to learn new ideas. So that was the first thing I said, I'm going to bring the conference to them. And the other thing, and I'm sure you've been to ag conferences just like I have, it's like they word vomit at you Yes. and then you leave and you can never watch it again. You can never follow up. You can never ask any questions. And so I changed all of that. People can watch the videos as many times as they want. They can download the audio. Then we have a session where it's called the profit panel, where I sit with all the speakers um, and we answer any questions. So you have the opportunity to circle back, ask for clarification, anything like that. So that's initially where the idea started. So that was in um, summer of 2020. And then how it's really evolved to focus on the ranch women is I was headed to a conference and I was asking my dad and my brother what my um, secret sauce was. And what they said is, Things like your creativity and your unique thinking and your passion about things that are not as important and your sensitivity. What they really meant is me being a woman. Right. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? Because growing up, my dad did not teach us that. Right. I mean, very clearly. What my brothers did, I did. I mean... And even so much so that we had a rule in our house. I'm not sure this is appropriate, but I'm going to tell you anyways, <laughs> uh, that if I, if I gave my brothers a titty twister, they could give me one back. My dad was like, fair game, you know, <laughs> they're all, so all I was, fair and love <laughs> yeah, I was not taught the different, I mean, but it was yeah. this playing field. So when they started to tell me that what is my secret sauce is all of these feminine traits that I didn't even know really I possessed because that's who I am, right? It's like in me. And I said, wow, if more women knew that their creativity could be the game changer for their operation being a moderate success to a great success or even change the forecast of their operation to ensure their kids can farm or ranch. I said, we have to get that message to them that the way their brain thinks is so powerful and needed in production agriculture. And so that's really where I was like, I have to tell these women Uh their secret sauce is them. Like it's not just cooking. It's not just the traditional woman roles. It's the things that are different. And so a really great example that we had that kind of like solidified it all for me is we run a bud box system um, and I was going to shut the gate and I could, you can't see the cattle behind you, right? Uh-huh. So you don't really know which way. And I said to my dad and my brother, we should put a mirror there. And 
my brother looked at me like I had four heads <laughs> and my dad said, and they are really great at vocalizing. I mean, we've done a lot of work as a family, right. um, but my dad said, we never would have thought about that. Never. He's like, that word would have never come to, came in my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we'll be more efficient because as my back's turned to the cattle, I know which way to turn. Right. I know how to go. Yeah. And it increases safety. And they, they just didn't, they don't think like yeah. that. Yeah. And we need things like that in operations, more efficient, safer for our employees, little things like that. Like I'm not asking to change the whole operation, but when you bring women involved in the day to day, you will notice things like that should have a mirror or the fridge opens the wrong way, right? <laughs> little things like that, that I think oftentimes get overlooked. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. And I think as women, we don't realize our full potential in aspects of the operation like that as well. I mean, even you just mentioned, right? You didn't think of that until someone told you these are the characteristics and, oh, wait, that's because I'm a woman. And um, yeah, and I always say too, you know, I'm not necessarily a feminist by any means. It's more of, I understand that we have a role that or not that we have a role, we have a role that doesn't have to be defined on an operation and it can be whatever seems right to you and and your family and whatever works for you, but to not limit yourself because you are a woman. That's what I think too is it's funny because the feminist thing comes out a lot, right? And um, it's not that I think being a woman is better than being a man. Not at all, yeah. But I absolutely think that in order to change the statistics in production agriculture, mm-hmm. right? We just shared a reel on Cattlemen U. I'm sure you saw it. Yeah. About the suicide rate, about the young producers, about the number of farms decreasing. I really, really believe in order to change that, we need to bring femininity back into agriculture. Mm-hmm. And almost every operation has a woman involved. And I think they need to be more involved. Because there are little things. Women are really great at relationships and sensing how employees feel and, you know, stuff like that, that just, that's not a characteristic of a majority of men. And, and a lot of times when I talk about this, people are like, well, my husband's different. Okay, great. He's the exception to the rule, right? right. Isn't there like um, that TV show that says he doesn't really love you or, or a movie, he doesn't really love you. And they always talk about, you are talking about the exception, right? You are the rule, right? <laughs> like, right. We're looking at the rules. We're not looking at the exceptions. The um, majority. <laughs> yeah. The majority. And so I just think women need to be more involved. And also I think we've forgotten how good fostering of dinner table conversations can be. So one thing in our cattle menu planner is we have really intentional questions to ask at a dinner table and to ask your spouse um, or your partner. One of them is, do we want our kids to do this? Mm -hmm. Do we want our kids to take on the stress of this operation? If the answer is no, why? What can we do? And I just think that we got to get women more involved if we want to change the outcome and the game that is involved in agriculture right now. Like we can solve a lot of these, Um, you know, mental health. I think if we had a little softer aspect to agriculture, I think if we were a little more in tune to our emotions, if we knew relationships, if we understood people's Enneagrams, things like that, we could catch on a little bit more when people needed some help. Yes, But it has been so separate. The women have these jobs. The men have these jobs. I think we got to come back in, mix them all together, 
get some of that, those female characteristics back involved in the operation. And I think it it's critical. Like I, I don't know that production agriculture can go on the same trajectory it's going. We have to do something different. Yeah. And I mean, just even from a male's perspective, my dad same sounds very similar to yours as far as no difference in work ethic or anything like that, just because you're a woman or you're male or whatever it may be. Um, But he has a very firm kind of thought process that, you know, we need women to continue this, the way agriculture is, and we need their, there's the the women touch to make agriculture improve and uh, continue on because without that, where, who knows where we'll be and absolutely many years yep so as thank you Caroline again for being on with me today and as our time kind of wraps up here together I would love to hear maybe any advice that you would give um, to potentially a listener or a woman in agriculture if they were thinking about um, potentially starting their own business or changing the role the traditional roles a little bit in their operation what's something you might share with them Yeah, so I give this advice a lot. So if you've heard it before, I still think you need to hear it, but you really matter. And it doesn't matter what you look like, um, what your faith is, what your family situation is, um, any of that, okay? If you wanna be in agriculture, we need you. And if you feel outside the norm, we need you even more. Mm -hmm. And if you don't wear Carhartts, that's great. If you don't own a pair of muck boots, that's fine. What If you want to be a part of this mission of feeding the world and to providing food and fiber and being involved in an operation and raising a family in this, or maybe not, just doing like whatever it looks like, you want to be involved, please be involved. Because I think for a long time, we thought a rancher looked just like my brother, right? Looks very punchy, cowboy hat, pretty rough looking. That is not the only picture of agriculture. We, If you're in New York and you want to have a garden in your apartment, we need you. Mm-hmm. If you want to raise five sheep and sell them to the neighbor, we need you. Like it doesn't matter what your idea is, what you look like, what you believe. You want to be part of this mission to feed the world. You are so important. And as people in agriculture, we need to welcome them. As someone who wants to be in agri- agriculture, please come in. Like we you are so, so important to the success of this industry. And if you only knew what your ideas, what your creativity could do to make a difference, I think you would have already started. And so I'm just giving you permission. My advice is to know that I'm cheering you on, but also to know that this industry really needs you. Yes, I could not agree more with that. Thank you for those words of wisdom. Um, And Carolyn, where can people find you if they are wanting to follow along or get in touch? Yeah, so on social media um, for Cattlemen U, we have Facebook and Instagram and a website, of course, and then the Cattlemen U podcast um, and everything's just Cattlemen U. And then for K-Rose Company, same thing. We have Facebook and Instagram um, and a website. And then personally, I have an Instagram. It's a little funny. It's Rose underscore Caroline. There's a famous singer, Caroline Rose, <laughs> that took everything. Um, and then I also am on TikTok and I'm talking all things, opening a retail store, um, running a business, wedding planning. If you want to hear kind of the more personal sides of my life, I share a lot of that on TikTok. Awesome. Well, Caroline, thank you again for spending some time with me today and your busy schedule. Good luck with the retail opening or the retail shop opening and wedding planning and all of the other exciting things that you have going on right now. 
Thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ag Chicks. Don't forget to follow along on social media at Ag Chicks on Instagram and Facebook. And that every episode has a visual version on YouTube on the Ag Chicks channel.